everyone, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS marketers and product people. Our awesome guest today is Newt Bokter-Smith, growth marketing consultant at Nine Lives Digital, and we're going to talk about life cycle marketing today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. Onboard, engage, and nurture your customers as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com slash worksheets. Hey, Nood. Hey, Jane. We are very excited to have you today and to pick your brain about this topic that nobody gets, right? <laughs> so. I'm really excited to be here and to nerd out over, yes, the topic that nobody really understands. <laughs> Amazing. But before that, can you tell us your background story? Because you have a super rich past with DevOps, email marketing, all kinds of marketing, really. So what you have been doing and what you're doing these days? Yeah. So I have about 13 years of experience in marketing. I started my career in e-commerce um, and shifted to B2B marketing. And that's B2B SaaS is kind of my expertise and what I like to do. I do have a lot of experience in DevOps, uh, developer tools, marketing, which is difficult, <laughs> challenging. I just love tech in general. So really any kind of SaaS or B2B SaaS marketing, I'm, I'm really interested in. Is there any special angle to Nine Lives Digital, the company that you're running now? Like what is the flavor of your services? What do you like to do most? Well, first, if you're curious about the name Nine Lives, it's because I am a cat lady. And that's kind of my personal brand. So of course it had to be something cat themed, but we came up with the idea of like giving your marketing more than just one life. You know, it's cheesy, but what we do, we're trying to still like narrow the scope of our offering, but what we're kind of more focused on campaign operations and optimization. What does that mean? That's a lot of jargon in one sentence. <laughs> what that means is basically setting up the foundation technically, so in your MarTech stack, to be able to execute marketing campaigns. So that's campaign operations, making sure all your data is you know flowing correctly, making sure that everything is tracked properly. And then optimization is if for your existing campaigns, going through that and auditing what you have running and making the strategy around recommendations for improvement. All you're saying sounds like honey to my ears mm -hmm. because yes, only certain companies at certain scale can afford to have MarTech uh, like dedicated marketing ops and consultants like you. And before that stage, they're just like founders and marketers struggling with this downright struggling. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah. So what I've seen is companies, like you said, they're scaling. They're just trying to grow, figure out what their product market fit is and they don't always have the experience. So obviously, if you're a founder, you're usually not a marketer. I mean, maybe you are a marketer also, but I haven't seen that a lot in tech and in the world that I've been coming from. It's a lot of kind of more developer engineering founders. So they really don't have the experience to know, okay, this is the setup we need for our MarTech stack in order to scale. If my goal is to scale this company, which I would guess that's everybody's goal right at the startup is scaling and getting more customers and being able to grow. What do you need in order to do that? And 
the experience that I've had over the last, I would say probably five, six years, I've seen, I've seen the writing. I know now what, what it takes to scale. And so I do a lot of consulting around, Hey, like this is where you're at now. If you're looking to grow your ability to, you know, get more customers and get more users of your SaaS product, this is what you're going to have to move toward. And if you don't do it today, you're going to have to do it in the future. And it's going to be a lot more expensive and a lot harder to do. So what's funny is, you know, every startup is unique in a way, but every startup is not unique in that these kind of technology challenges on the marketing and maybe even like revenue side, it's all the same exact challenge, just different flavors of it. Do you find there is a certain MRR breakpoint when uh, it becomes unbearable and people get their stuff together when it comes to data, attribution, things like that? No, I don't think there's an MRR breaking point. I think the breaking point is, has the company been successful enough without it? And a lot of companies find success up until even like past series D, like pre-IPO maybe even Series E, they find a lot of success having scaled that much. And then potentially they're trying to IPO and you have your consultants come in for that and you have your internal folks trying to figure out what to do in order to be attractive for an IPO. And one of those things is like, you have to maximize every dollar. And if you were successful before, you now have to do more. And that's when I see a lot of companies freaking out about, you know, are we quote unquote marketing appropriately to everyone in our universe? So prospects, you know, customers, users of our product, et cetera. And if you have a company where there are folks in leadership positions, even if it's an earlier stage startup, but those people see the value in this kind of work, then they will do it earlier. The problem is, in my experience, so many folks in leadership positions at startups, they don't really see the value. And so it doesn't really become a problem to solve until they have to, because someone's knocking on their door saying, you need to do this. Who's that person knocking on the door? Usually it's finance or someone like, <laughs> <laughs> I would say in like pre-IPO stages, it's, it has something to do with revenue and trying to monetize every single funnel. Interesting. You just broke my own stereotype. I thought it's more like, you know, serious BCD when people get in peace, but obviously it's even far beyond that line. <laughs> it's way further. And it's really interesting because I think if you had asked me maybe six, seven years ago, I would have really agreed with you and said, oh, you know, serious, yeah, BC, or a, a certain MR breakpoint, but it's really not. It's much, much further down. And in B2B, I think, let's separate B2B and B2C really quick. I think B2C for, because I came, I came from B2C email marketing. There is specific ROI determinations for email marketing specifically, but just let's call it lifecycle marketing. If you do these things, if you do these tactics, you will see a return of X, Y, and Z. And it's almost, I don't want to say immediate, but it's very quick. And so there is this understanding of the value of this activity and they're able to do a lot of lifecycle marketing and really, you know, look at the entire experience of these customers all the way from this person's never placed an order to this person's a VIP and places an order every month and really maximize all of the funnels. 
and they see the value in that. And if they stop, there's nothing else to catch that. There is no sales team to go out and get those deals. So it's very important (laughs) and a very high priority. And in B2B, it hasn't been like that at all. It's been sales, 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 especially I'm, I'm more talking about a traditional sales led funnel for a B2B company where marketing is like a support function to sales and isn't really seen as a thing that can stand on its own. And I'm really speaking to kind of like this life cycle marketing world. And then PLG started being a thing. And then there's like the the more understanding of product-led growth, meaning you have companies like Zoom, for example, is a good uh, example where the product itself, you can go and sign up on, on Zoom's website. You can put in your credit card and you now just became a customer. And there's not that sales experience necessarily. And Zoom can use lifecycle marketing, such as emails, webinars, you know, paid digital, even sending you flyers to your house. Like lifecycle marketing can encompass many different channels, but it tends to, you know, have email at the core. They're using that without any sort of sales motion. So that's product-led growth. And these companies that do product-led growth really well, I think you could probably say like Zapier is an example of that. You could say HubSpot even has a product-led growth funnel. They see a pretty good return on that on that work. What I'm seeing though is more traditional B2B companies where the product is more complicated or the ideal customer is more of an enterprise company. The deal sizes are very large. And so you can't really rely on product-led growth as much as sales-led. But what I'm seeing is a lot of these traditional B2B companies saying, well, product-led growth doesn't work at all for us. It just doesn't work for us. And I think that that is a huge gap for a lot of B2B companies because you want to optimize the customer and prospects experience with all of your entire ecosystem that includes your software, your product, all of your marketing, your sales, your customer success, all of that. And if you don't take advantage of lifecycle marketing for your product, such as, you know, we talked about user onboarding as one, but there are many uh, flavors of that. Then you're really leaving a lot of, not necessarily revenue on the table, because that's not the only metric to look at. But I think you're just, you're really doing your product a disservice. Let's zoom out a bit. We got together to talk about well, originally lifecycle emails, then we decided to zoom out into lifecycle marketing. And then yes. when we decided to clarify the term, we learned that we all mean different things and other people mean different things. So from our little ecosystem coming from there, lifecycle marketing, lifecycle email is everything that happens after someone becomes a customer. So user onboarding is probably like step one of lifecycle email. And then there is more throughout like customer loyalty making sure they're successful, etc. But you have a different definition. So what does lifecycle marketing mean in your books? I do have a different definition for me. And I think there are some of those that are like nerds in the lifecycle world that would agree of a little bit broader definition where lifecycle marketing is the experience with your brand, whether that be your website, your product, your marketing, 
depending on where that person is in relation to that experience with your brand. So do they know who you are? Are they very aware of you? Are they, did they sign up for a free trial? Are they a customer? And so you market to them. And I want to use that term loosely because I think we may need to talk about the definition of marketing too, but you market to them with that in mind, with their stage in mind. And one of your favorite sayings is that email, it's just one of the primary channels. It's definitely not everything. So what's that about omni-channel nature? Oh, you have opened a can of worms, my friend. Okay. So I think at the core of what we're talking about is customer centricity and really thinking about what's valuable to that person, that account, that person, and where they hang out. And so If that person, if you're thinking about your audience and you're creating a lifecycle strategy for your audience, because your goal is to, you know, increase engagement with your product and that person is hanging out in your product day in and day out, why not figure out a way to send them a small little in-app or in-product notification that's not too, you know, pretentious and annoying instead of an email or addition to an email. When you're thinking about your overall strategy, Think about your customer first and what you need them to do and what you want to inform them of and what value you want to give them and where they're hanging out and what would be a better experience for them instead of you as a brand and what's easier and better for you. I'd love to touch on the angle that you have been marketing to DevOps for DevOps tools for a large part of your life. And that is a very special, sensitive audience. So tell us more what lifecycle marketing looks like for an audience that doesn't want to be marketed to. What is the flavor? (laughs) You're right. You're right. They do not want to be marketed to. They hate marketing. And I will say that oftentimes when people hear marketing, I think they think advertising, right? They think buy now. And the reason for that is because as marketers, we've been not very good at our jobs. I do think there is a time and a place for buy now, but I think that if you lead with customer centricity, so your customer is at the core of everything that you do, and you know your developers and your engineers and your technical people do not like being sold to outright, do not react well to buy now, then what do you do? Well, you lead with value and education first. And the trick is, and I say this and people's minds kind of explode a little bit, but it's just so obvious to me. And I'm really surprised people don't talk about it more, but part of what you do with marketing (laughs) is reminding people you exist and, you know, someone will be living their life and then you just remind them that they, you exist as a company and as an offering that there's a problem you can solve. And they go, you know what? Oh yeah, I need to, you know, go log in and do X. I need to talk about this with my boss. I need to tell a friend about this, et cetera, and so forth. And in order to, you know, give that customer, give that prospect a good experience, if you bring value first, when they're ready, they will come to you. And they'll see you as a trusted source instead of annoying, annoying marketers. And that's kind of the way we have to do, we have to tiptoe with a developer audience because... Everybody in this world knows that they do not like being sold to. They will not have any of it. 
you know, I don't think they're the only sensitive audience. Marketers have their marketing card very up, right? And the founders yes. as well, because we're all part of the yes. same game. We know, we know the game. We, we know the game and we see right through it. Lifecycle marketing is a thing, especially for SaaS, that nobody gets right. Well, nobody just really does for a fact because they don't have a budget. It's never a priority for growing early SaaS. But when they do, they're also leaving a lot of low-hanging fruit and things on the table that they could do. Uh, what do you feel are those like key things that are the minimum viable package for things to be done at a B2B SaaS that should be in place? Of course it's different. Of course it differs. Like <laughs> It's different. Yeah. I would say think about your funnels. And I'm going to separate kind of your prospect demand gen funnel for a minute from like your user and customer funnel. And for prospects, I think, you know, B2B companies, they go out and they get a bunch of leads and they're like, we have leads. The leads will convert. We will get them to buy our product. And they don't do anything to warm them or even, I don't even want to say warm. I'm like, just tell the leads what it is that you do and why they should care. And so I would say for the prospect phone, number one, do you have a welcome email that tells this person that has no idea who you are as a brand, what you do and why they should care? That is really simple. Maybe it's a little bit more than one email. It could be a couple, could be a sequence. And then the second thing is, are you nurturing your leads? We're making an assumption here, depending on where you got the leads from, that there are a lot of people that don't really know what problem you solve. And when I say you, I mean the product. What challenge does this product help the user solve? And I think that there's the curse of knowledge a little bit. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. So brands just assume people know exactly what we're talking about when we say X, Y, and Z. You know, we are your full DevOps lifecycle tool. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Explain to people. Explain it. Like in the Reddit nomenclature, explain it to me like I'm five. Be respectful. Don't patronize your audience, but really break it down. Be really simple and plain in your explanation of what it is that you do and really focus on why they should care. Well, we do X, we solve this problem and you should care because you're probably really stressed out when you're releasing software. Releasing software can be extremely stressful. And if you're losing sleep, we can solve that for you using A, B, C, D. Here, you know, check this out. Let's say we're talking about this lead nurture sequence that the new leads who land in your email marketing funnel start receiving. You have many things on your plate to solve. So one is like, tell what you do, who you are. One a second is like, bring the customer up, the potential customer up to speed in the industry, bring value, educate, intrigue, inspire. So many things to do in just one sequence. What takes the priority? Like what does the first email have to say versus the second and the third? Of course, it's different per company, but <sighs> it's overall, gonna, yes. overall, do you feel like the overall pattern is similar at least? Yes, it's always similar. It is going to depend. Yes, it's going to depend on the company. But what I see more is it's going to depend on your audience and not just what they 
do. So are they a developer? Are they a marketer? But more the role at the company that they have. So are they more middle management? Are they individual contributor? Are they senior? And I say this because the further down you get towards like individual contributor, those are the people having problems every day. They're they're on the front lines of the problem. And so you have to be a little bit more specific with them. We can solve, you know, heavy. Did you know you could do X, Y, Z? These are the things you can do. The higher up the your audience is, the more kind of business problems that they're trying to solve and less like daily problems that they're trying to solve. And so you do have to take a step back a little bit with that audience. And I could talk a little bit more about, you know, marketing to C-suite and above, like VP level and above. That's yes, not please do. At all. Because all the, all the headlines, <laughs> they promise the same things, you know, cut churn, increase LTV, things like that, yeah. uh, reduce CAC. But these are all like boilerplate promises and you see them everywhere. I'll say it's not easy at all. You do have to do quite a bit of research, I would say, customer research and really talk to your customers and understand what they care about. For example, you know, certain organizations, the C-suite are the people that have the budget. And so without their final say, you're never going to sell. Another thing I want to just take a quick pause. Another thing I want to mention for a B2B SaaS or just B2B in general, you're dealing with buying groups. You're, one person is never buying on their own. So as marketers, when we are, yes. <laughs> when we're, uh, <laughs> you're excited. I am too. But as marketers, when you do lead nurturing and lead scoring and just looking at one individual person, you're really missing the full picture of that buying group and how your marketing has to work together in tandem with the people working together in order to really win that deal. And marketing to that higher level person is part of that. And having assets ready to go to make the argument for that person is really important. And so things that I've experienced that have done, you know, fairly well are things like Forrester cost of ownership reports and Gartner reports, you know, the reports from industry experts that can speak to your software offering kind of, and I'm, I'm talking more of like, obviously an enterprise level that really lends credibility to your software that you have that name of Forrester Gartner, et cetera, speaking to, you know, the ROI of your software. There are other assets as well. There are events, usually like targeted events towards high level folks. We can get into like field marketing and stuff like that. But speaking to lifecycle marketing, I think that lifecycle marketing for VP levels and above those type of decision makers is really, really hard. Those folks don't have a whole lot of time to spend like interacting with your ecosystem as much. And so you do have to, in my experience for developer audience, you're leaning into other channels pretty heavily. What you were describing is essentially account-based approach. And if we talk about email marketing, the account-based approach works great as soon as you have the as a customer on board because then you have the full understanding of the entity you have the users laid out for you you have the account level it's our special sauce as a software tool so uh we know that mm -hmm. pretty well when it's just the lead nurture stage though it's that frontline person who signed up 
there is no legitimate way you can bring their boss into the same email sequence or have them in your email marketing tool at all. They didn't opt in. It's always sales, is it? <laughs> so you bring up an interesting point in that one thing is, I'm sure you've noticed account-based marketing has evolved from being a thing that you do in addition to the marketing that you're doing every day to start being how we do marketing and B2B. And you have to be really organized as a company. You have to align sales and marketing really well. I'm not an ABM expert account-based marketing. I'm not an account-based marketing ABM expert by no means, but I do think that having a really good understanding of your ideal customer, your ideal accounts, and who you want to go after as a company really helps make your marketing better because it makes it more specific. And anytime you can be more specific and understand those companies and what their challenges are, your marketing just improves. Also, your segmentation is more specific and therefore your marketing improves because you're speaking to a more uh, specific audience with your more specific messaging. You kind of hit on a little bit of a topic, I'll say media divisive topic with, you know, consent. And I just want to say I am from the United States. We play fast and loose with email consent in this country. Meaning I, like kind I of dirty? <laughs> meaning kind of dirty. And everybody knows it. I don't want to come here and have an opinion on that. I do wish that consent-based email marketing was more of a accepted tactic in this country. But the truth is it's just not. I think that you're the so, first person out here just saying it honestly in public. I am. I'm just being honest. And it's I've been on other podcasts where I have mentioned the same thing. Like, you know, I'm as a marketer, I'm kind of given this playground to play in. And the truth is this playground does not have consent based email. It just is what it is. There are things you can do to try. And if you know the accounts that are in your account based plan, the ones that you want to go after, there are so many vendors that will get all of the data for you and just hand it to you and say, here's, you know, here's Jane, here's new. These are the people you need to go after. And then it's your decision as, as a company, whether you want to just go ahead and import them into your CRM and your marketing automation tool and just start marketing to them right away. Or if there's something else that you could do to attract them and get them to opt in, I'm going to be agnostic and say, there are ways, there are ways that are better than other ways, <laughs> but there are ways to do this. I think if you can lead with value as a company, if you can do it, be as specific and offer as much value as you can to that audience and not break any laws. I think one of the challenges, at least something that all of us have faced in, in B2B, myself, I've faced a lot is our leadership is putting a lot of pressure on us. Just do it. Why are you, you know, being difficult to send the email? Um, we don't care if it's, if we don't have consent. So let's talk about the ROI of lifecycle email. And we are not in e-commerce when you can measure the conversion rate of every email to purchase, right? That's not even mm -mm. like close to reality. I wish. What I wish can we measure that. like possibly? It's really, really hard. I think anyone in marketing ops in any kind of operations role for a B2B company, even Demandgen knows how hard it is to really measure. A lot of it will fall on the company and what marketing attribution designs they've decided to implement. 
So there are many different ways you can attribute marketing spend to results. And in my experience, companies pick and choose what looks best and go with that. And oftentimes, lifecycle marketing is not really seen as a channel in and of its own. It's kind of like a helper channel. So, you know, paid media is the channel. Events are the channel. Lifecycle marketing helps those channels achieve their goals. And unfortunately, what that means is a split attribution with those channels. And what that leads to is basically a really... I really hate to even say these words, but like an infighting, like with people, you know, coworkers working against each other because attribution, they're trying to get as much attribution for their programs as possible. And in order to get budget, for example. And so I don't, I don't have an answer for this, but I just don't want to make you and the audience aware of the challenges around really counting ROI. But in my experience, it doesn't, I've seen it, you know, with, W-shaped attribution with first, last attribution with U-shape and lifecycle marketing in my experience still performs really well considering it doesn't have like an ad budget. You just, you just do it and it kind of runs. Of course you improve it and optimize it, but it's still, it's still not a sink for your cash, right? Exactly. It's not the same sink as paid advertising, which you know, it's, it's different though, because a lot of paid advertising, you're working on acquiring new leads. And so you're looking at like CPLs and I, I'm not a paid digital person, so I'm going to sound like an idiot, but um, you're kind of optimizing on those metrics and in B2B, especially for enterprise software, the CPLs are really, really high. Like that, they can be thousands of dollars. And so my, you know, it, as a lifecycle marketing manager, like my programs aren't beholden to the same kind of strict budgetary constraints because I just take what they give me and I do, I try to optimize that experience, but everything that I've, I've done in life cycle, as long as you lead with value, you do get an ROI. That's pretty significant. You just have to make sure you are tracking all of your efforts. Make sure you have UTMs, make sure you're tracking everything. Do not run nurtures without tracking them. If that helps, we've had a founder, co-founder of a marketing attribution tool uh, here, Dream Data, with Stefan Hedbrand. And he also says, like, don't be delusional. You can't track everything. So don't worry. Everybody's in the same boat there. Uh, (laughs) One of the wrapping (laughs) questions for you is how do we better use existing content and weave it into our lifecycle journeys? Because... It's a pretty common situation where you have a pile of very useful articles like guides or whatever, but we either fail to update the sequences or they just like don't even cross. (laughs) Like, how do you make sure to make the best out of your content in that way? That's a great, great question. The first thing I would say is make sure you have good content. Don't fall into the trap of I already spent a lot of time on this, you know, content, so I'm going to use it. Ask yourself, what is your goal with your lifecycle program? Who is your audience? What are you trying to get them to do? And does your content help you achieve that goal? Is it the right content for your audience? Because if you have content speaking to finance managers and you're actually creating a nurture 
where your primary persona is HR managers, that will never work. And I've seen it so often where they, you know, there's that sunk cost fallacy. Well, I already sunk X number of hours creating this finance manager content. So I'm going to use it. Let me just tell you that is just an exercise of failure. It is just going to be better for everyone for you to keep that finance manager content for SEO purposes on your website and really focus on valuable content for that audience that you're trying to nurture or you're trying to reach via lifecycle marketing. So it trying to make that fit, make content that doesn't really fit fit is very frustrating and we'll just end up, you'll end up having to redo it anyway. So um, don't fall into that trap. From your experience with the DevOps audience, what formats work better than others? And just overall, what are some interesting success stories that you could share from those companies? Yeah, so I think for formats, developers, engineers, technical people, they like solving problems and they like playing with things. So giving them an ebook or a white paper is you know, they're going to snore because they're going to be so bored. <laughs> you will lose them. Giving them maybe a virtual workshop or even a, a like a webinar where they can see a problem solved and ask questions and interact. Um, or even an in-person workshop, some kind of like demo environment that they could play in, something gamification oriented, classes, online virtual classes that they can take to up-level their skills. That's the sort of stuff that they want. And so in my experience, of course, there's going to be one or two white papers or whatever that are going to do well, because even though the rule of thumb is, you know, oh, well, they don't want to sit down and read a thing. There are a few books that are like, they're actual little books that help them do things that they're going to be really interested in. So once again, you're kind of, you're always starting with your customer. You're starting with that prospect, that person, and thinking about what would be helpful for them. A few things that have really surprised us, I think, I mean, the book surprised me, if I'm not being honest. Like, I just wasn't expecting that to really go anywhere, but people really liked it. The last company I had, they had, one of the co-founders had co-written a, a technical book on how to do a certain thing. And when I was at AWS reInvent last year with the team, we also had a different book at the booth and it just, people were so excited, you know, people that were coming to the booth, taking the book. And even though I did not expect anyone to want to take in an actual book and put it in their suitcase and fly home with it. But I think like we, so I sometimes underestimate the nerd, the nerd factor, you know, I'm like, I'm also a nerd and I have tons of books. So yes, that makes sense. I think it just really, you have to lead with value. The other thing that surprised me was webinars. At my last job, I was running Lifecycle, and then the time my boss was like, you now run webinars also, and I was like, oh, no, I do not. I don't want that. Why are you doing this to me? So after crying for a minute, no, uh, after being <laughs> mad, I was, I was like, okay, fine. I guess webinars are can be a part of Lifecycle, right, if you think about it. And my team took over webinars, and really, we saw a tremendous success from it. Tremendous success. What's the angle you take? Like, what does a successful webinar look like? Technical content that allows the people that attend to go away having, being able to do a thing or learning a thing that they maybe didn't know how to do before or kind of 
wowing them with like new ideas. They have to be specific. So what, where we didn't see a lot of success is like more broad, like this is what's happening in the world of DevOps. This is like more thought leadership type stuff. That really did not do well unless the speaker was someone of very high caliber, kind of like star status. We had a speaker that he was literally one of my favorite people, written many books, is a superstar in, the, in this world. People will stop everything they're doing and go and watch him talk because that's the kind of person that he is. But if you as a brand have your salesperson and a marketing person having a webinar about talking about things that are happening in the whatever world you're in, nobody cares about that. Well, where we did see the most success is those kind of celebrity type thought leadership webinars, but mostly technical, like learn how to do X with Y. That helps. The last webinar we organized, <laughs> I managed to get sick twice in a row uh, for the original date and for the rescheduled date. So I'm like on a on a short hiatus about those. <laughs> and we had a panel of three amazing speakers. And I just like got that very bad luck. <laughs> That's really bad luck and just really speaks to like how hard so many things have to happen in order to run successful webinars. I think people outside of the world really don't think about how much work goes into running and executing a successful webinar program. It's extremely laborious. Those webinars about narrow topics that you mentioned, those are run by the internal team. So they're not about guests, but about like specific things you're teaching there, right? Correct. And they sometimes would have guests, mm -hmm. but the whole point is we're teaching something and we're not selling. Right. If there is one thing I can learn from today's episode that is like provide value and sell less. Yeah. Now, of course, you want to be there to allow folks to raise their hand and say, I am, I am interested in having a sales conversation. But the point is you don't want to be brash and in the face unless, you know, you know, unless you know that they're like ready to have that conversation. We, we kind of already said exactly that, but... Uh just in case, to recap, what does uh, one do and one don't when it comes to lifecycle marketing for SaaS? I would say do. Yeah, we talked about this already, but I'm going to say it again. But do start with your customer, your prospect first, your audience first. Do make sure that you are asking yourself what's in it for them. What is the value that I'm bringing to them? I am interrupting their day, making sure that value is, is there. Don't. Don't be scared of creativity and weirdness as long as it's within your brand. You know, think outside the boxes. I'm talking to you B2B marketers because you know, and I know, all of us know, the B2B marketing can be very boring. <laughs> so if you bring in a little bit of humor, if you kind of play around a little bit, get cheeky as long as it's within your brand, then you'll stand out. So I would say don't cast that aside. I love if this. You can. Love this. Thank you so much, Nude, for sharing your wisdom today. Where can people so find you online or can they hire you and your team online? <laughs> what can they do? <laughs> I would love that. Yes. Yeah, so I am not on Twitter anymore, unfortunately, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Threads, um, anybody? I know I have been really 
avoiding threads, but I think it's going to have to happen. But I would say LinkedIn's probably where you'll find me most active. You can check out our website, ninelivesdigital.com, and the nine is spelled out N-I-N-E. And that is my little boutique agency. And we would love to talk to you about any campaign operations, campaign optimization, lifecycle marketing needs. Amazing. Thanks so much, Noot. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes.